Welcome to the Career Happiness Podcast. My name is Soma Ghosh. I am the founder of a business called the Career Happiness Mentor. And within this podcast, we explore themes around career happiness, confidence, well-being, and so much more. Not only do I do one-to-one personalized episodes to really, really support you as a listener, but you will have the chance to listen to really, really amazing guests from all corners of not just world, but different industries. It's really, really important that you are not only happy in your career, but you make time to progress in a way that feels right for you. So if you want to have more energy in your career, change your career, find out more about how to potentially start a business or even help your teenager with careers advice, this is the podcast for you. Thanks so much. So, um, hello everyone. We have a wonderful, wonderful guest with us here today. Hey, Sarah, how are you? Hi, I'm doing very well, Soma. How are you? Not too bad, not too bad. We're, we've still got some warm weather here in the UK. Um, it's going to get colder, trust me. <laughs> how, how about you, where you are? Is it warm? Is it cold? You know, I am in Florida in the US, so it is perpetually warm. The land of endless summer here. <laughs> <laughs> Great, great. Please, please bring more of that sunshine here to the UK. <laughs> you got um, it. Yeah. So, um, obviously, um, the work you do is really, really exciting. And um, you know, I've, I've read a couple of the things that you showcased, and it, it just looks really exciting. But it would be really, really great if you could just kind of start off and just tell us a little bit more about yourself and, and what you do, Sarah. Sure, absolutely. So my name is Sarah McElroy, and I am a former chief marketing officer and ex-hustle culture devotee. I was inspired to return to my journalism roots after becoming a two-time member of the Great Resignation within a span of just nine months, as well as the Wall Street Journal's poster girl for pandemic burnout. And on the other side of these two back-to-back quote unquote, career failures, as some may look at them, I was left reeling. I wanted to find out what were other women experiencing? What were the defining moments and breaking points leading them to seek greater opportunity through their careers in the wake of the pandemic as well? And so I founded Race to Rise, a journalism project and movement amplifying the powerful voices and stories of women from the great resignation. So... When that kind of happened, um, Sarah, would 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 you say that you noticed a, a kind of tidal wave or a wave of change of things kind of after the pandemic and everything that happened? What, what were the kind of main issues that came up? You know, I think my personal journey mapped to the experience that a lot of women were having. So we can see in the wake of the pandemic women really were impacted even more so than men. Now, it was difficult and a collective trauma for everyone, but there was a lot of research done by McKinsey and the Lean In Foundation, and they published their Women at Work 
uh, or women in the workplace report every year. And at the end of 2020, what they found is that women were spending on average an additional three hours per day in housework and childcare duties on top of their professional responsibilities. Because with the pandemic, we found that a lot of our safety nets related to childcare uh, facilities closing, schools closing. We weren't able to see our families and get additional help from them. We saw that as those safety nets evaporated, that the the true nature of what women were really doing to keep households running really was brought to the, the forefront and into the limelight. And so then you fast forward a year after that and the report finds that those numbers have held true. Women are still spending that on average an additional three hours per day in that work and that they are three times more likely than men to be men in the household to be doing that work. And now one in three women have either decided or considered, I should say, considered downshifting their careers or leaving the workplace entirely. So I think it's a, it's just a little, that small study and those few statistics there are very telling as to the greater issues at hand related to women having to bear a lot more responsibility and all of us collectively really waking up to a new way of potentially working because we saw as the world went on pause in the wake of the pandemic and we were all forced to slow down and really get off the hamster wheel for the first time ever as a society. And we started to question what are the things that I am doing related to work that are actually truly necessary and what is arbitrary do i have to do these things is this job making me happy it just gave us an opportunity to question everything that we've been taught because things like you have to go into an office for work for example like that turned out to be not necessarily true in in every case so it's been a fascinating thing as we've seen women really collectively awaken and begin to push back on some of these, uh, the requirements or the additional heavy lifting that they have to do in addition to their professional lives. Yeah, really, really interesting what you were saying there, Sarah, because like when I'm hearing a lot of what you're saying about, you know, the workload, things like burnout and overwhelm come to mind. I mean, have you seen a little bit of, of that since the great resignation and the reason why people might, might be quitting? Or do you think that there is a deeper thing before that? Because just before you started, you, you, you said to me that, you know, I've been doing this work for a while myself, you said to me. Yeah. But do you think there are patterns of this that were always undercurrented and always there, but we weren't actually, you know, admitting to these yes. things? <laughs> Ooh, so my, I think you hit the nail on the head with that one. Absolutely. I think there have always been, or at least in in recent times, as hustle mm-hmm. culture has really become embedded in the the way that we work, and we'd really push this idea of having it all, especially onto women. So having it all at work and at home, and it just takes uh, balance, and you can charge the boardroom and break through the glass ceiling, and all of the things are possible. Mm-hmm. I think women had been sold a real bill of goods, and we could feel the almost like an earthquake when the tectonic plates are shifting and you have that pressure and that energy building and it's going to eventually have to discharge. I think the pandemic was that perfect 
uh, kind of storm of all these things yeah. happening that allowed the um, the cracks and the fissures to really show in what we were doing. So I 100% agree that we've been feeling that for a long time, but until it was okay and everyone around the world was collectively, we were all collectively uh, questioning what we really needed to do work-wise and did it have to be that our personal lives fit into our careers or could it possibly be the other way around? It was almost that permission piece that gave us the chance to, to ask questions and to be more thoughtful and intentional about what we wanted. So I definitely agree that that's been a huge part of the buildup to all of this. But then burnout, you were spot on with that. So Deloitte did a survey of 5,000 women from 10 countries that released a few months back. And they found that more than 50% of those women intend to quit their jobs within the next two years. And that number actually skyrockets to 90% on a five-year horizon, which that is just mind-blowing. Those are sound the alarm kind of numbers. And the the number one reason cited for women wanting to leave was burnout. More than 50% of women in that survey were saying, I'm, I'm burned out and were rating their, their mental health as either poor or very poor, which it's really, it's very disconcerting and discouraging to think that 50% of professional women would want to walk away because they're struggling that much. And so I think it's a real opportunity for us to take a hard look at what we're expecting of women in the workplace and what we're expecting of ourselves, even the pressure that we're putting on ourselves to have a career that looks a certain way or a life that looks a certain way or a family. And to come back to ourselves and really what matters to us most, or matters most to us because what we're doing now isn't working. It's burning us out. It's making us sick and it's making us unhappy. Yeah, definitely. And you know, when, when you were talking, I was just thinking about the fact that for me personally, a pattern that I've been seeing is that people are just saying no yes. <laughs> a lot more. Yeah. They're saying no, they're saying that these are my boundaries now. You know, I have a family or I have these care commitments or I have this and I love my work but I'm not superwoman anymore and I can't do it all. And if I'm trying to do it all, I'm just going to, you know, end up in hospital with an illness or something serious is going to happen. I mean, I don't know, Sarah, if you've seen that, please do kind of add a little bit more about maybe what you've seen um, in the last few months, because I know you've been doing a lot of great, great work about this. Yes, absolutely. Well, it's um, that what you are bringing to bear there, Soma, is really personal to me as well. That Mm -hmm. is what happened to me and why I even began this work to begin with is that I was working at the very beginning of the pandemic. I was actually working for a global hospitality company and I was moved to the COVID response task force, which I was certainly honored to do that work and to support the hotels and team members through this really uncertain time and demand is cratering and it's just, it's totally crazy. Within a month of that though, my team, I was on a team of nine and everyone was furloughed for the summer aside from my boss and me. And so all of a sudden doing Uh, the work of a much larger team and also juggling an executive MBA program 
at the same time. And my hours are starting to get pretty crazy related to how much I'm working. I'm then given the opportunity to join a private equity backed wellness concept that was scaling nationally as their first chief marketing officer. And for me, that is that was a dream on paper. So I jumped at the opportunity, but I'm the youngest person on the executive team. It's a pretty toxic and dysfunctional culture. And I'm trying to prove myself and that I deserve a seat at the table too. So between that job and school, all of a sudden I am working up to 20 hours a day to make it all happen. And it wasn't, you know, every single day, but at times that was what I was doing, thinking I just have to make it through to graduation. I can scale back. This is temporary. It, it'll all eventually be okay. But during that time, what happened is I ended up in the ER after throwing up blood, um, a couple episodes of that. And then even after I graduated and I started scaling back on my hours, I still ended up getting shingles in April, 2021. And so that was a huge wake up call moment for me because I get shingles that I'm actually really overjoyed in the doctor's office, which I know sounds so totally crazy, but I'm, I've got permission now to take off 10 days from work for a socially acceptable reason. And I was just, I felt this just incredible relief and gratitude almost to have this like uh, this approved, socially approved pause button. And so that was really a moment of like, okay, I'm going to have to do things differently. Like Sarah, I, I hear you, (laughs) this is not working. And so I ended up getting a new job. I moved down to Florida where I am. I decided to prioritize my well being and joy, a little bit of joy every single day in whatever form I could find it because I had become so much of just this machine, almost a robot uh, working all the time. And I'm down here, I'm doing all this yoga and meditation. I've got this tiny little house on the water and I'm enjoying the beach and uh, just trying to be calm and take care of myself and my burnout isn't healing. And um I ended up actually dealing with a a sexual harassment issue in this new job that was not being properly addressed for months. And what I finally realized is that even though I had cut back on my hours and I was taking better care of myself physically, the stress of that was still, it was like a a paper cut on my nascently healing burnout wound. And so I still physically wasn't feeling a hundred percent better. And so that's why I ultimately ended up leaving that job. Now that is a a long way of saying like that. uh, I certainly appreciate and understand that so much because I hit that threshold of no more. I'm not going to compromise my health anymore for work. It just, it can't and won't happen. And I think that's what happened for a lot of us is we hit breaking points that were long in the making and finally said, as we're looking at the world around us and we're seeing that certain things, like I mentioned before, are arbitrary related to work, but we also, life is very temporal as we're looking and seeing people dying in the face of COVID And it's like, why am I going to do any of these things that are making me sick or unhappy when I can establish better boundaries and create 
a much better life for myself where work is right-sized and isn't everything that I, you know, I, I give all of my energy, my time, my care to. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for sharing that. That was very profound. And, you know, I'm sorry to hear that you went through so much, but I know that it will help the listeners because the listeners who listen to this podcast have a series of all sorts of different issues. Sure. And sometimes they need to hear, hear these stories in order to give themselves permission. One of the things that I really, really wanted to ask you, because um, I'm so glad you shared kind of your story about how, you know, you evolved and, and kind of why you quit. But I know that you've created this um, rise sorry, Raise to Rise project. And it'd be great to kind of find out a little bit more about that, tell yes. the listeners about what that is and, and how that actually helps um, the women that you, you work with. Definitely. Well, so Raise to Rise was born out of that last resignation when I left that organization. And actually, you know, Soma, I was the, I was the good girl. I was the quintessential corporate good girl. Anything that was asked of me, I would do it. I was nose to the grindstone and I wore my ability to outwork anyone as a a badge of honor. And something just broke open in me after that last resignation. In fact, I had the day I I received the readout from HR. So an investigation should have happened back in October of last year uh, when one of the comments that was made to me was overheard by HR, but it was never appropriately investigated, but I, I refused to drop it. So finally in January, the company did an investigation and it was so clear that it was such a perfunctory check the box exercise really to get me off their backs um, because I'd given them documentation, 3000 words of uh, notes as far as what had happened, detailing four months of missteps. And then I get a one hour time block put on my calendar to receive the readout from HR from the investigation and investigation findings. And I get on the phone and she reads back to me 10 bullet points in a matter of four minutes uh, to say an investigation was completed. We have an open door policy. Please let us know if anything else happens in the future. And this needs to be kept confidential and a few other things, but there was really nothing new coming out of it. And I just, I got off the phone and I just decided I was done. And later that night I drafted this blistering anti-harassment resignation letter. And I took my laptop into the office before dawn the next day. I, uh, I'm i trembling <laughs> with my finger over, over the button to hit send. And I end up sending it not only just to HR and my boss too, but to the CEO as well. And I walk out the door. I don't give two weeks notice, nothing. I am just so done. And that is the antithesis of the good girl. So on the opposite side of that, I am just, I'm totally reeling. I'm like, who am I now? But I feel more liberated and powerful in using my voice than ever before. And so ultimately I realized I wanted to find out what other women were experiencing. I'm thinking, I cannot be the only one who's moving from one organization to another and finding that 
you know, one toxic culture here and another toxic culture there and continuing to struggle with overworking and imbalances and all of these things. And so that's what inspired me to create Raise to Rise. I wanted to capture women's stories from the Great Resignation to find out what were they experiencing? What was changing for them as far as this reprioritization of and right-sizing of work in our lives? And so what I've been doing is interviewing women, capturing their stories, and ultimately what it's turning into is a book that will be shared. I just felt like we as women have so much brilliance, insight, wisdom that that we can share with each other. And that's what I wanted when I was struggling too. I got so sick of spending hours going down internet rabbit holes, finding platitude packed listicles about self-care and you know, just things that were like very superficial surface level related how to deal with things like burnout and sexual harassment at work and things like that. I wanted those gritty hands in the clay learnings from other women who had been there as well. And that's what Race to Rise is all about is like letting us truly come forth, speak our truth about work in our lives and then support each other in renegotiating a and, and establishing a better way forward for all of us to make work work for us again. Thank you so much for sharing that. This sounds super, super inspiring. I'm just I was just listening in awe of what you were saying. And I was oh, thinking, oh, thank this you. This is so awesome. One thing that I wanted to ask you um whilst you were speaking, um, because I don't want to ignore this part of the conversation. Um is that you know and I'm really really sorry that you went through all the the sexual harassment stuff um I work with a lot of clients and I myself have been through not sexual harassment but very severe workplace bullying to the Mm. point where I was in mental and physical depression and overwhelm and so I want to find out from you Sarah like obviously I know Me Too happened ages ago Me Too is a huge big thing so I don't want to ask you anything too big or too broad but I would love to find out from you as someone who's experienced, you know, what you have experienced. Um, do you think things have shifted since the Me Too movement in women speaking out? Or do you think more women are still not speaking up when they're being harassed? Well, what are your thoughts on that? I'd love to know. Yeah, you know, so much. Well, first off, I'm so sorry that you experienced that. It is such a... It's a brutal thing when you have to keep showing up in a workplace and you, your body, I'm sure you had this, I would imagine you had this experience too, where your, your body is reacting with depression and these symptoms because it's telling you, you can't go into this environment every day and be happy and healthy. It's just, it's our body's way of telling us like we shouldn't be in this situation yeah. anymore. And it's like, yeah. it's the worst, right? It's the worst thing though, when it's our paycheck and our subsistence that is tied to these toxic cultures and bullies and things like that. And we're having to go against every instinct in our bodies to show up and keep getting paid. It is such a difficult situation to be in so I'm so sorry to hear you went through that well well you know I I got through the other side of it but what you were saying Sarah about you know that physicality I think I was kind of a bit like on autopilot you know you said like robot survival mode right sleep eat repeat you know 
And it sounds really horrid to say that. I'm laughing in a very kind of cynical way. But I mean, yeah, I don't actually, I can't actually remember. It's a bit of a blur. I don't yeah. know if you felt that too. Well, kind of well, blur. I was just, but yeah, I don't know. But please, please do share your insights. Yeah, um, no, I'm sorry. You're just, where you made me think is like, what happens to our bodies in those scenarios mm. is that we are reacting to a trauma. And mm-hmm. what we're starting to see, it, that is our nervous system yes. in, you know, that um, really high alert activated state all of the time. We are in our sympathetic mm-hmm. nervous system and not able to access that rest and digest that's needed in parasympathetic mode. So for me, what I realized is that most of the time I was in flight mode in those scenarios. And actually when I was in my CMO role, I I really did experience a lot of that kind of, um, that sort of bullying amongst coworkers. And it was just, it was such a crazy thing. I really hadn't uh, expected it or ever experienced it like that, but you, your nervous system is trying to protect you. And so for a while I was in this flight mode of overperform, overdo, just keep going and you'll be able to prove to them eventually that you're good enough and you deserve yep. to be here. But then that was even becoming too much that then I was getting more into that nervous system freeze, which becomes that shutdown. But that's why you'd have that sort of blur is that that's protecting ourselves, our, our body and our brains protecting ourselves from the trauma. Mm-hmm, definitely. I mean, do, do... Do you think women are still hiding in the the shadows, should I say, and not and not still not sharing their experiences for fear of not being believed or fear of just accepting that you know they just have to keep on working? I'd love to know what you think. I you know I think I think it is still happening, and um and and so I appreciate the fact that you you brought that question to bear because even though. Uh, I think Me Too has made a, um, certainly made a difference as far as awareness of these issues. It is still so hard because of what we were talking about when your paycheck and your ability to pay your mortgage and pay for your your child's childcare and to put food on the table is attached to a job. It is so scary to speak up and potentially risk that. And that I think still holds us back. Even when we know, you know, it's 2022, this stuff should not be happening anymore. And if I speak up, it should be addressed. Sometimes it doesn't. And that was, I think, like my big wake up around all of this Soma is that I had a situation where HR overheard one of the comments in October and I had to still fight to get an investigation until January. So it's like, we still will, even with all of the progress that's been made, we still are running up against walls because it is still not completely an acceptable thing to speak up in such organizations for fear of retaliation and losing yeah. our jobs. Yeah. And it's, it's things like, you know, if, if you speak up, you're seen as the, the troublemaker, you know, sure. and, or you're seen as the person who's not, not making it up, but I had a situation where my manager at the time when I was telling her I was being bullied, she kind of just very like, she, she gaslighted me and she said, oh, are, you sure? are you sure? Are you sure she's not, just you know 
being, um, she's not saying that to you out of this or that. I'm sure she's not saying that to you out of malice. So I'm like, you know, uh, like, no, she is. Yeah. No, she is. I, I know. I know. I've worked Absolutely. with many people. Um, but no, but very interesting. And thank you for talking about that because I do know a lot of people listening will, will resonate, um, Sarah, because uh, I do think it's important to mention that whilst talking about this. One of the things that I really want to talk to you about today as well is kind of finding out your thoughts and feelings around this thing because it's it's not a new thing quiet quitting <laughs> yes um it isn't new um even though obviously the the term has been coined as a new thing um do, i mean do you feel that this is something people were kind of doing before they were like on the verge of the great resignation or before the they were going to like quit their job do you think this was happening in the background but this was kind of like the thing that we're doing before the escape route I'd love I'd love to know your yes. thoughts on that totally oh completely Soma I I really think quiet quitting has been happening for a very very long time mm-hmm. just without a real label and without people talking about it as openly right so I think that's what made it such a media fixation is that all of a sudden we see on TikTok, people are talking more about being disengaged at work or setting stronger boundaries or whatever that might look like. I think this kind of thing has been happening for a very long time. I had, um, I'd read something the other day that it was kind of a joke that the movie Office Space was the the first <laughs> example. Of, I know it's such a good one, but first example of sort of quiet quitting. But really, like if you think about it, Ron Livingston wasn't even like quietly quitting because <laughs> uh, yeah. he was telling his, you know, the people at the organization, he was kind of making it clear that he really wasn't working anymore. But anyway, I just don't think it is. It's completely new, but to your point, I think it fits in with everything that is happening now, because as we're seeing things are changing, at least here in the U.S. with an economic contraction and uh, with a recession, likely to be that we're going to see that the great resignation slows and there aren't as many job openings and people are finding ways to then uh, kind of take more power and control back into their own hands, even if they can't mm-hmm. vote with their feet and move to another organization. And yeah. in, you know, in some ways, like that, that's the thing with quiet quitting too, that I think is interesting is it's hard to find a singular definition of exactly what that looks like. For mm-hmm. some people, it really is just saying like, I'm no longer going to do work after hours, period. And it's more of that sort of right sizing of work in your life. Whereas on the other side, it is um, kind of at its worst, it, it could be then full disengagement from your job. But again, anything on that spectrum, all of those things have been happening for a long period of time. We just haven't had a term to describe it. Yeah, no, I do agree. And I, I mean, for me personally, because I, I did do a, a short video on TikTok about quiet quitting, weirdly enough, because I was getting a lot of questions uh-huh. about it. And one of the things that I found is that people were, some people still don't know about it you know really they know that it exists but they don't know about it like you were saying but for me I actually think that it's good that we're having this kind of conversation today but we're having wider conversations because people are often labeling people as being lazy when they're within their boundaries when I believe personally it's my personal belief that if somebody is working part-time and they're a mom or they have lots of responsibilities maybe they can't 
give more and they're not lazy yes. they're still doing yes. a good job totally and, and, and I think the problem is sometimes I don't know I'd, I'd love to know what you think about this is that we are we are very easily labeling people we're labeling people when we're saying oh you're not doing enough work you're doing too little work it's like there needs to be a good balance in between right let's yes. be honest yes absolutely well because the the days of blindly lauding martyrdom or sacrificing of yourself for your job are numbered. I think people are really starting to see that that is an unhealthy behavior and we shouldn't be putting people on a pedestal when they do that because it's, it's to the detriment of so many other things, even if it's looking good in the way that they are showing up at the office. It's indicative of problems within the greater culture or um, perhaps deeper seated feelings that they have related to why they feel like they have to show up in that way. And I think there's a real personal unpacking that needs to happen when, um, when we start to realize that that's even kind of like our own default setting and even our workplace isn't expecting it. So I think that's, that's kind of, um, that's one part of it. But then on the other side of it too, I also think I was listening to Glennon Doyle's book Untamed and she talks about how she and her wife, Abby would get in fights sometimes where she would see Abby sitting on the couch in the middle of the day in between work, taking a bit of a break and watching Netflix or TV or something. And she would have this reaction where she'd be like, Hmm, must be nice. And then she'd like go about the house aggressively cleaning and Abby would be like, are you okay? And she'd be like, yeah, I'm fine. And Abby's saying, okay, I know something's wrong. What is really happening here? But it's that sort of passive aggressive must be nice thing that actually can be a mirror reflected back to us that says, you know, Abby really in that scenario wasn't being lazy, but that was the label Glennon was putting on it because she felt like she couldn't give her herself permission to rest. So I think there's something really interesting in that as well, that when we are labeling people as lazy and, and sure, you know, certainly certain there are times where people aren't pulling their weight and you get frustrated by that. And I, I've been there. I completely get that. But I also think that sometimes we're quick to judge on the lazy piece. Like you said, with perhaps, uh, for example, a working mom who is giving everything she can and just can't give more. And that is more than okay. We're quick to label because there's a part of us that's jealous and wants to give ourselves permission to reach a certain threshold and then say no more as well. Yeah, no, no. I, I really love that example that you gave. It's, it's very interesting because I think sometimes when people were working from home and they had a bit more flexibility, um, there were a lot of scenarios where couples were fighting and things were happening like that. Thank you for sharing that. It's very, sure. very interesting. Um, the next thing that I kind of want to ask you then, Sarah, is what do you think employers and workplaces can be doing to support staff and their employees to be happier at work? Great question. Well, the interesting thing is that we are going to have to see what unfolds, I I would say, really over the next year. So Mm -hmm. if we look at what the pandemic originally brought, which was more of that flexibility around understanding 
people have other lives outside of work. And, and for the first time, we were really allowed to bring our personal selves into the same sphere as our professional selves. You know, if we're working from home and all of a sudden we're all seeing into each other's houses for the first time and people are having to perhaps take care of kids here and there on conference calls and things like that, it really became a more of a grace that we started to give each other related to our personal and professional lives. But what we've seen now is that in the return to work, when more flexibility was promised, that those those things, those boons for employees in employee rights, those things that were promised are being walked back on. And we're seeing more companies being stricter about returning to work and companies are are then losing employees as a result. I think what employers are mostly thinking is that, especially here in the States, with a recession, more power on the pendulum swings in the direction of the employer and they can be more strict on some of the policies and things they want to have in place. But ultimately, we're not solving the issues at hand related to to burnout and toxic cultures and things like that. So what I think will happen is we will see that those companies that prioritize the things that matter most to employees, and I'll give you an example, the Mom Project is an organization here in the States that looks at supporting organizations and mothers in uh, finding great companies and great cultures that best support working moms. And their study that they did looking at the top 10 success drivers for working mothers in the workplace were flexibility was number one. And then number two was respect and respect of both of my roles as both a professional and a mother. And so if we know that flexibility is the number one thing that that working moms want, flexibility is also something that benefits then anyone else too in that workplace, not just the working moms. It's a kind of a rising tide lifts all boats sort of a thing. And if everybody gets that opportunity around flexibility. So I think what we'll start to see is that as companies are pulling back on that and other issues aren't solved on the other side of an economic contraction, those companies who kept the flexibility will be rewarded by retaining talent or picking up other top talent as people um, start to make or feel more confident making shifts when there isn't a recession or making changes at uh, with their current job. And those that don't embrace the flexibility will ultimately struggle more with retention, top talent, all of that good stuff. That, very interesting. I, w- I wanted to ask you just one more question kind of before we round up, um, Sarah, because sure. I think it'd be interesting to hear your perspective. So here in the UK at the minute, what's happening is I'm noticing this pattern where more people are going in like maybe one day a week, two two days a week into the office again. People okay. who, you know, have those kind of jobs. Um, and there's been a lot of this contention around people now are slowly doing this kind of hybrid way of working which is great right but also some people are still working from home and it'd be interesting to find out because you are from the US what is there a similar thing going on in the US or do you think more people are still very like comfortable staying at home or you know being in that at home work at home bubble I'd love I'd love to know yeah well so what what I've heard here in the states is that companies that were saying you would be able to work from home 
are walking back on that and forcing more people to return to the office more days per week. That's what I've heard uh, heard of happening as of late. Like we had, especially with like tech companies or even that company I was working for at the beginning of the pandemic, it started with you would be required just to come back one day a week and then it became two days. And then in another announcement, it became three days a week. And so it's um it's been more of this shift that is slowly leading people to be back in the office full time. There's, there's another company actually down here in Florida that I just heard um, – my boyfriend's stepfather had worked there for many, many years, and they would typically run 200 open job requisitions. And right now they're running 1,100. Now, a lot of or many factors, right? A confluence of factors at play that have caused that. But what he was saying is he met with a, a number of his former coworkers last week is that they were one of the first organizations to force that return to work like full time. And they really paid for that as far as losing team members. So it's, um, it's great to hear actually that in the UK, it, it seems, it sounds like it might be a little bit more flexible um, yeah. And that, do you foresee people moving to returning to the office full time? I think, I mean, it's interesting. There are more companies that are endorsing that. But one of the things that's happening here in the UK, and I would suggest if you're interested, please go and have a look um, online on Google. There's a guy who's come up with this project. It's only a temporary project by the government where they're doing this four-day week thing. Ah, and yes. I have, and I have very mixed feelings about that, but that I'm not going to get into Okay. Um, What I'll say is I think sometimes that can cause more burnout. That's all I've got to say in a nutshell. Um, Sure, fair. That's something that they're testing at the moment with certain companies. Okay. And there are certain changes. So, yeah, very interesting what you were saying there, Sarah, is that people, yeah, they are kind of being ushered back in. But it's in a very kind of like, yes, when are you coming back kind of tone. We don't really have much of a choice. You've got to come back. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. And hearing you hear stories of things of like companies were trying to get people back with like bagels and donut breakfasts. And then all of a sudden we're like, maybe that's not really going to work. So then it became catered lunches. And it's just a really interesting study Mm -hmm. in human behavior and motivation and what matters most to us that really needs to be brought to bear with this rather than like these sort of band-aid solutions and stuff like get to the core of what is what people actually want and why they want to stay home you know you think about it it's like the the cost of commuting it's the the time of commuting and things like that and just more because we saw productivity actually was increasing during the pandemic as people were working from home so that wasn't a a true concern as far as not being able to actually get the same output out of people. So it, um, it really needs to come back to truly listening to your people and what matters to them rather than like people are going to be excited by bagels. Probably not. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's very interesting. Thank you for sharing that. That's very kind of like insightful stuff there. Where can people kind of, um, connect with you, find you all that kind of stuff? Yes. I would love to hear with anyone. I'm still interviewing women for Raised to Rise and the book. And my website is raisedtorise.com. And you can find me on LinkedIn and Instagram as Sarah J. McElroy. I will say that this work and hearing women's stories directly from them has been the 
greatest joy of my professional career. So please don't hesitate to reach out. Even if you're someone, it's an interesting thing. I put out my call for stories of women from the Great Resignation back in um, kind of like late March, early April. And I received nearly an equal number of inquiries from women who are currently in jobs feeling stuck like they want to quit or make a change, but feel like they can't. And so I'm I'm happy to talk to and support anyone however I can. Well, well, thank you so much for sharing. And thank you just for a very inspiring and, um, you know, wonderful conversation. I really, really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Definitely so much. Thank you so much. I think you have a wonderful platform and I'm just thrilled to have been here today with you. Thanks so much. Speak soon. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Career Happiness Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it on social media or with somebody you know it will make a significant difference to. And remember, if you haven't already, please take some time to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much.